the caves and the shadows of Kentucky hold something unknown. Some sort of mystery that keeps calling, keeps wanting us to continue further down. Hellier was just a symptom. This is Jim Perry, host of Euphemet, and thank you for listening to this bonus edition. Thank you for any listeners from Astonishing Legends that are listening. We want you to get lost in Hellier and learn how this all started. You are listening to Euphemet, the original series. This week, from February 2016, my conversation with paranormal researcher Greg Newkirk. He has a new documentary series out called Hellier. It's the continuation of the Kentucky Goblins investigation, the case featured in this very episode. Now available at Amazon Prime and Hellier.tv. Broadcasting from KHUH Seattle, this is Euphemet, and I'm Jim Perry. On this edition, we explore the notion that we're not alone, and that our visitors from lore that spans millennia from cultures all over the world are perhaps closer than what we could ever imagine. As above, so below. Next, on Euphemet. In 2012, a defunct ghost hunting group's derelict website received an email from this guy in Kentucky. This guy, who we will call David, was panicked. His family's property was being terrorized and David needed help. So the Ghost Hunter Incorporated's website was so old that it hadn't even been updated in like eight years. It's gone now. But in 2012, David was lucky enough to have one of the members of the ragtag operation still occasionally checking the site's email account. And he happened to be Greg Newkirk, who over the years since the group's demise turned into a big-time investigator of the paranormal. Along with his co-adventurer and wife Dana, they've appeared on national talk radio shows, have a traveling occult museum, lecture events, and even operate their own investigative website. It was just David's luck that he may have found the right guy for the job. Hello, my name is David. I received your contact information through a mutual acquaintance who assures me that you are well equipped to investigate peculiar problems. Furthermore, I believe you may have interest in these events beyond any compensation that I am prepared to deliver in order to have these issues sorted. For the past six months, I have been living in a rural home located on the border of West Virginia and Kentucky, where my family is nightly assaulted by creatures that I have come to believe are of an extraterrestrial origin. These beings appear to be the size and stature of a small child, devoid of any facial features save for large oily eyes and lipless mouths. They frighten my children by peering through their bedroom windows, chirping at one another. They actively attempt to enter my home in the middle of the night. Last month they took my dog, The police refused to provide any further assistance, attributing the problems to wild animals and forwarding my complaints to the State Game Commission. 
I believe that they are coming from an abandoned mine located on the edge of my property. Though I am armed, I'm afraid that I'm far too frightened to enter the mine by my lonesome and cannot convince any sympathetic friends to accompany me, though I cannot blame them. I am convinced that the only answer is to collapse the mine. I believe this is where we can be mutually beneficial to one another. If you are prepared to assist me in this matter, I can offer you permission to record and document these events under the condition of anonymity. I can guarantee you evidence of these creatures which I assure you are not wild animals. Please respond ASAP. Thank you. So, Greg thought it was a joke. How and why did this guy entrust GHI with investigating his claim in the first place? I'm, I'm actually looking at this picture of GHI. It's taken in 2000. Greg and his compatriots look like they're probably in high school and have maybe just come back from an insane clown posse show. <laughs> Two of the members hold handguns, other brandish axes of various size. Greg and one other member have matching zebra print bowling shirts. They were, as Greg put it in an article, 110% professional. Greg emails David back. He asks him for more details and evidence. He then posted the email to a paranormal message board that he frequented, as well as his Facebook account, and it quickly became a subject of fun speculation. Everyone had questions. Who is this guy? Why would he email a ghost hunting group for a space alien problem? Who was this mutual friend? Why would spacefaring beings be living in a cave? Is blowing up an abandoned mineshaft even legal? And of course, the question anyone with a passing interest in the paranormal was asking themselves, what if he's telling the truth? The next day, GHI had a message from David. Thank you for your prompt response. I do not blame you for being skeptical of my story. I appreciate you keeping an open mind about my situation and I am more than happy to provide you with as much information as I am able. I was given your contact information through a man by the name of Terry Rist. When these disturbances first began occurring, I was only inclined to confide in a personal friend who I knew had fringe interests. He offered to share my concerns with a man that had dealt with somewhat similar experiences in previous years. I accepted his offer. Within a week, I was informed that this gentleman had long since retired from pursuits of this kind, but was willing to provide me with contacts who may be willing to help. This is how I came to contact you. I do not have any answer to why other than a referral and a recommendation from a gentleman I do not know personally. I was under the impression that you would answer that question. I am located in Pike County just outside of Kentucky, is located roughly 30 to 60 minutes from the borders of Virginia and West Virginia, respectively. Most of Pike County is made up of small towns and rural communities. It is not uncommon to go days without seeing my closest neighbors. I moved to this area for the peace and quiet. I have received neither. I have lived in this area for just under seven months and in that time the majority of the harassment has occurred within the past three. I did not become aware of any strangeness until early December, although that is only when I began to keep a record of these events. At first it was merely strange tracks in the snow around my home. I had initially imagined that they were some kind of animal, though it closely resembled a human footprint minus the heel. 
At that time, I was under the impression that it was simply a single creature. It wasn't until weeks later that I began to suspect that I was dealing with a number of what I thought were individuals hazing me upon my arrival to the area. At this point, I was incapable of keeping my dogs outdoors overnight. Any attempt to leave her unleashed would result in her barking herself hoarse until she was allowed back indoors. In the weeks leading up to this particular evening, I had awoken to find my shed doors open on several occasions. Many of my children's toys missing or moved, and my yard in general disarray. I had already given a report to the police, who were making it increasingly clear that they were not interested in my case barring physical harm or large-scale theft. The second week of January, I am having breakfast with my family when my five-year-old daughter begins talking about kids without hair. When my wife inquired about these kids, she informed us that she had spent the previous night watching them play in the yard. As you can imagine, this was some concern. I asked my daughter what these kids looked like. She told me that they were bald like grandpa and weren't wearing any clothes. The very same day I found the wreath that hangs inside our rear porch stuffed into our mailbox. I purchased and installed motion-activated floodlights the following day, and for a time, the problem ceased. It wasn't until the end of February that our daughter informed us that the bald kids had returned. I was awoken to the sound of my daughter screaming, rushed to her bedroom only to meet her halfway down the hall. When my wife and I were finally able to calm her down enough to speak, she told us that the kids were trying to peer into her window, but they couldn't reach and instead had taken to tapping on it. She hasn't slept in her own bedroom since. It was that morning that I phoned the police for the second time, and they responded by finally sending a trooper to our residence. I informed him of the regular mischief, how I was unable to let my dogs outdoors after dusk, and of the bald kids. When we found the ground disturbed just under my daughter's bedroom window, the officer informed me, very matter-of-factly, that we were dealing with an animal, and I would be better off contacting the game commission than waste their resources any further. Almost every day for the following week, I would find some evidence that something or someone had been on my property the previous night. Smudges on the windows were not uncommon, stones from the walkway dragged to the other side of the lawn, and I had found tears in the screen door. On Wednesday, the 7th of March, I finally witnessed the kids without hair for myself. The dog woke me up around 1.30 a.m., scratching at the back door and whimpering to be let out. I noticed that the motion floodlight was on and went to the kitchen window to check that the shed doors were still closed when I realized I could see the shadow of an individual cast across my lawn. From the angle I was positioned at the window, I could not actually see the source of the shadow or the floodlights. The dog was pacing circles around the back door, and I could hear someone rifling through a box on the porch. Filled with a little more anger than common sense, the only reaction I could muster was to bang loudly on the window and yell, at which point I heard the screen door on the porch swing open and slam against the house. I heard what I can only describe as chirping at this point. It sounded much like a skunk, if more guttural. I then realized that there were more than two people on my property, and the shadow, which had been reacting as if it didn't know which way to run, was quickly joined by another. 
For a moment, I watched as the shadows chirped at one another when I noticed a figure out of the corner of my eye. Standing in the flower bed just to the bottom left of my window was a small, humanoid figure with silky pale skin, completely hairless. Standing roughly four feet, it was looking in the direction of the shadows and had clearly come from around the left side of the house opposite the porch and had not noticed me as far as I could tell. Its face was devoid of features, save for large round eyes, very reminiscent in shape and color of a bird's eye. It had no nose to speak of and only a small slit for a mouth. It didn't appear to move its mouth as it chirped, sounding more as if noises originated from its throat. It was most certainly not a wild animal, and even more certainly not a child. I was too terrified to move and watched as the creature hopped to the others and together they scrambled into the woods on the right side of my property. It was clear that there was at least five in the group. I have not mentioned this particular incident to my wife. The only other person who I have spoken to about these creatures are yourself and the close friend who introduced me to our mutual friend, Mr. Wrist. I would prefer to keep these things that way and to approach this problem as discreetly as possible. Since that evening, my dog has gone missing from the porch, yet to return, and I can only imagine that his disappearance has to do with these creatures. I've gone looking for him during daylight hours, only to find many of my missing belongings scattered at the entrance to an abandoned mine shaft at the far edge of my property. I don't dare go inside. My friend has convinced me that my experience is similar to that of other visitation experiences providing me with material and references that back up his claims. I am aware of the outlandish nature of what I have told you, but I am afraid that I have no other explanation for what I have seen, at least at this time. I can see no other option than to seal the entrance to the mine. I cannot achieve this on my own and I am too frightened to try. I don't dare share this information with others for fear of ruining my career and the reputation of my family. I am prepared to compensate your travel expenses and offer you unrestricted access with whatever recording equipment that you desire, but only on the condition of complete anonymity. Beyond that, I have no other desire than to be rid of this problem. Please inform me of what you would like photographs of and where to send them. Thank you again. Honestly, this story, reading it, it's really captivating, man. And it has everything in it. Oh, it gets it gets weirder. The, <laughs> okay, good. Stuff, the stuff that's not that's not written. I mean, it, it's 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 even weirder. <sighs> I, I, I really don't even know what to think about it, to be honest with you. I love it. I don't know. So I guess, I guess take us back to after you received that second message from David. Um, he describes events that have pretty much left his family in terror, you know, small hairless entities and, and someone who calls himself, uh, Terry wrist. Is that how you pronounce it? I, I Ter- think it's Terry, Terry wrist, Terry wrist. Terry, yeah, I think it's a, a play on the word terrorist is the, wow. whole, is the whole idea there. Yeah. yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Well, what did you, what did you make all of this when you, when you had that second message in front of you? I thought it was a good story, but I didn't, I wasn't totally on board. I mean, anyone can anyone can write a great story. And I mean, I I didn't know who this Terry wrist guy was. I had no idea who he was talking about. I still had no idea why he was contacting a, a, a group of kids on a, on a defunct website for a, a ghost hunting team that wasn't around. I mean, I mean, like I said, we'd never dealt with anything like this before. So none of it made sense to me. 
And I thought that it was just some kind of elaborate joke. I, I didn't really take it very seriously uh, until he sent the third email. Well, let, let's go back real quick. He mentions for the first time this Terry Wrist character, which could be a play on terrorist. Uh, what did that ring any bells at that time? You you didn't know this person, did you? Or what did you think about that? No idea. I had I had absolutely no idea who this person was. I, I mean, it was it seemed like it was clearly a pseudonym for somebody, um, but it wasn't anything that rang any bells. And so, you know, the first thing I did is I went to, to Google and I started to see who this person was. It's clearly a play on the word terrorist. Uh, and the only references to this guy, uh, Terry Wrist, was uh this guy in the back of a couple, uh, he was listed in, in some obscure 90s books about uh, UFOs. Hmm. They were written by a, a guy, he's an occultist by the name of uh, Alan Greenfield. And in these books, he interviews this guy going by the pseudonym Terry Wrist, who claimed that he had been part of uh, a group of Vietnam veterans who spent their time going into alien cave bases located underground and clearing them out of little creatures that sounded quite a bit like uh, the ones that that David was experiencing. Wow. It was the only only reference I can find to this guy, Terry R. Wrist. Uh, so, you know, again, still kind of hard to swallow for me. Wow. And in his in his conversations with Alan Greenfield, I mean, does Terry report anything similar to David's account or just like the noises or what there were there was no reference that that i remember to any of the noises um the the description sounded a lot like you know the the typical grays uh which a, a lot of what david sound you know a lot of what david was talking about sounded a little bit like grays too uh but the one thing that really that really stuck out was the fact that these things were living in, in underground they were coming out of old mine shafts they had underground cave bases and uh that's that's where they lived and that's where he and this this group of of badass uh alien ass kickers They'd go down and they'd wipe these places out, kind of like David wanted us to do. Oh my gosh, that could—that's a movie. Why hasn't that happened yet? Or like a weird I comic know, right? book? <laughs> I'd read it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, was this ringing a bell with Kentucky? Was there evidence that there were there were mines that this was uh, a possibility to be a thing? I mean, you know, I'd never—I'd never been to Kentucky at this point. Uh, mm -hmm. I'd never visited Kentucky. I knew nothing about Kentucky. Uh, the only thing that it, it seemed to have anything in common with was there were some themes that related to the Hopkinsville Goblins case that happened back in 1955. Hmm. And, and, and in 1955, this family in this farmhouse was besieged by uh, these tiny creatures that uh, they thought were from outer space. And it still remains like one of the most well-documented cases of extraterrestrial contact because police saw this. I mean, 11, there were 11 witnesses that, that saw this. They fired on the creatures. Um, they've, they've got sketches from different eyewitnesses. Uh, so the, the themes of like these creatures coming out, being interested in the children specifically, looking in windows at night, and then uh, kind of disappearing off into the into the forest sounded a, a lot like what David was going through. Wow. But in my head, it was like, well, how does this, you know, connect? The thing is, the place that this was all supposed to be happening to David was far eastern Kentucky. 
Hmm. And where Hopkinsville happened was pretty far western Kentucky, so hundreds of miles. Well, well at that point, with, with that sort of information, you you emailed Dave, right, and and requested some evidence for the second time. You know, I think in the article you mentioned that you reiter- reiterated that if he was, you know, tr- truly serious about having you come to Kentucky, you know, right. you needed some pretty solid proof that you weren't being jerked around, and 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 he didn't reply for quite some time. Is that right? No, it was it was a. Uh, I think it was uh, several weeks, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, at that point, I'd given up. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, whatever. That was a joke, you know, because yeah. uh, that's how a lot of this happens. You ask for evidence and no one can produce it. And then lo and behold, several weeks later, I get another email from him. And in the email were a bunch of attachments to pictures of three-toed footprints. I mean, they they were clear as day. Uh and the strangest part is, you know, at, at this point, I've, I'd never investigated anything like this before. I had pretty much strictly stuck to ghosts and poltergeists and even a little bit of Bigfoot. And what I picked up from uh, hanging out with some Bigfoot hunters was, you know, they always look for the dermal ridges. Sure. And and these had dermal ridges. It was really striking. And so at this point, I was like, all right, I'm on board. I'm on board. Wow. That's amazing. And so what did you end up doing with these photographs when he sent them? Did you get any other input or was there anything else besides dermal ridges that rang out to you or or basically what was your next step with this? Well, the first thing I did is I sent them to anybody I knew who was a Bigfoot investigator uh, or who worked with animals on a regular basis. And I said, you know, is there a kind of animal that can make this track? There wasn't. No one could find anything that looked anything like it. Uh, I said, you know, I've there have been sightings of 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 three toed of three toed creatures in this area. Could it could this possibly be fake? Uh, and, you know, one of the things the Bigfoot hunter said was, you know, we've seen three toed Bigfoot footprints, but we, we don't know what it's going to be. We can't tell how big they are. So they couldn't tell how big these footprints were. So like we can't tell and measure them against what we know about three-toed Bigfoots. We can tell you this. They they look very real. They don't look like something that someone could have faked very easily. And so, you know, that was just more ammo for me to actually go, all right, well, this is worth looking into. And at that point, uh, did you exchange any more emails with David? Uh, yeah, I'd sent him I sent him another email back. And I think at this point it was it was like, yeah, I, I, I believe you. OK, all right. <laughs> all right. All right. You can you convinced me enough. Uh, I said, you know, send more pictures, uh, send photos that show how big these are uh, and you know for god's sake try and try and get the creatures you know if if you're seeing these so often do your best to try and get a photo of these actual creatures and it wasn't too long before he sent another email and this one did have more photographs and he has a ruler next to the footprint so you can see that these things were about half a foot wow so so clearly they weren't the three-toed Bigfoot footprints because these were very small. On some of the images, the dermal ridges are even more visible. And the weirdest part about what, what he'd sent in this email was he actually did include images of the creatures. What? Um, he, he actually had photos of the goblins themselves. What did what did it, they look like? How clear were these? What did they look like? In in true paranormal fashion, not clear at all. Yeah. So so the most compelling image shows what looks to be like a small, pale humanoid figure that looks like it is kind of crouched around a tree looking out 
uh, towards the camera. And when David had taken these photos, he said that he actually got them from his back porch, uh, took as many as he possibly could. And then he and his brother-in-law actually hit the road. And they said, we were not sticking around. Um, I'm done with this. Uh, there were some other photos in there, too. One of them looks almost show like a side profile hmm. of the creatures. I mean, again, it's it's pretty blurry. But when you look at it, you can see what looks like the side profile of what looks like a typical gray alien. Um, you can see like the, the high cheeks and the pointed head and the big the big round dark eye. Uh, so, you know, at this point, I'm I'm absolutely all in. I, I, I want. <laughs> to know more i want to go down one of the last things that he's expressed was that he he wanted us to blow up the mine wow <laughs> bring your dynamite he, kids i think he was going to supply the dynamite okay. <laughs> all inclusive <laughs> all inclusive holy crap was there more investigation to do before you before you went down there what what did everybody else think of these photographs of this creature uh i mean i mean it was it was kind of the typical 50 50 split there were the people who you know they they really really wanted to believe it uh there were people who said no this is this is really dangerous don't go meet some strange guy you met on the internet who wants to you know use dynamite on an old mine <laughs> it's a terrible idea but the the fascinating part was we had dozens of people who volunteered to go with us like there was there was no doubt that we could have had, you know, 40, 50 people, a uh, strong crew if we really had wanted to. And and I try and approach everything middle of the road. I don't want to say that I absolutely believed him 100 percent, but I was I was invested enough at this point that I wanted to put boots on the ground. I wanted to go. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, la the last email I ever sent to him was, you know, send me your address and let's plan a date. We're going to do it. We're going to come. We're, we're going to come down. Um, and I never heard from him again. How, div yeah. how disappointing must that be? I, I mean, at this point, you've you've mobilized a community. I mean, you have a team. You guys made shirts, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, what happened? It started out as a joke. Uh -huh. Actually, believe it or not, the joke started on 4chan. Wow, a thread, okay. a thread on the X boards at 4chan started uh -huh. about the Kentucky Goblin case, and it started out as a joke where it was like, "Well, let's get a whole group of people together, and we'll we'll take the internet down, and we will go solve this case." And someone jokingly started referring to the, this this make believe team as the Alien Cave Base Task Force. <laughs> and it became such a thing that I, I thought it was so funny that I was like, well, screw it. I'm going to make an alien cave based task force shirt. <laughs> and and so I did. And then other people were like, I want one of these shirts. So we we just put them up and sold them at cost. And uh, I mean, I still wear mine. Some of your readers, when when you were posting these things, when you're exchanging these images of this, they drew comparisons to the Dover Demon. Yeah. What, what was that about? Uh, back in the 70s, I think it was 1977, there was a, a kid uh, who saw this strange, large eyed creature uh, with these kind of glowing eyes on a, uh, a stone wall in Dover, Massachusetts. And uh, it became this crazy, out of control fright fest in, in Massachusetts when when it happened. And there's there's really there's really striking uh, images that have been been recreated of this thing. And I mean, a lot of people believe that this thing was was a hoax and that it didn't actually didn't actually exist. But uh, it looked a lot like this creature. And uh, it's interesting because the, the longer we've gone about this, like at first I dismissed it and I said, well, you know, I mean, people see these kinds of things all the time. The more we've looked into the goblin case, the more I'm starting to believe that people 
all over the Northeast have been seeing the same thing for decades. They've just all given it different names. How insane. And the Hopkinsville case, it's right. sort of a same, a similar case. So you have these photos, you have David's testimony and your readers weighing in. And, and 4chan and everyone else. Was there any incongruity in David's story or were you at this point just pretty confident and you really did just want to get boots on the ground? I mean, there were there were definitely some things that didn't quite make sense. I think the, the biggest glaring thing was in his emails, the sex of his dog changed. So at one point he refers to it as a he and then at another point he refers to it as a she. Maybe we're looking too deeply into it because, I mean, that'd be an easy thing to, you know, I mean, a lot of the times people don't really really care about their animals. <laughs> Everyone knows these these people who go when you're like, oh, look, look how cute she is. It's a he. Yeah. But then there's other people who are like, whatever. I don't really know. It's my wife's dog. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So Just out here in the cold sure. walking it because I have to. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I try not to look too deeply into it because everything else, I mean, you know, I, I wanted to believe a story. So. Well, there's I, so I, many I, other like similar stories that, 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 listen, even if it weren't true, the, the idea of going down to investigate something like this seems plausible just for the story in itself. Absolutely. Um, with little than a hunch of where the location might be, no other messages, what happened? You know, that's that's sort of case closed for a while. What what happened next? Well, the first thing we did is we called the local police. Uh, we figured that was as good a place to start as any. And so we, we called the local police in the area. And the area that David was from is uh, it's very, very rural. So the the closest police department was actually the state police, which was mm. like almost, I think, 40 minutes away. And uh, so, you know, we we called and we asked, we said, hey, listen, somebody contacted us. Here's the deal. Uh, have you heard of anything like this happen? Because David claimed that he'd actually had the police come to his house. So there has to be a record. If that's true, there had to be a record that's, that they sent someone out. What they said was, uh, yes, we dealt with stuff like this. Uh, it's it's come from this this area, but that's as much as we can tell you. We can't tell you anything else, and that's it. Wow. So that was about that was about as good of a confirmation as we were going to get. But it was it was How confirmation crazy. enough, right? That's nuts. Yeah. So they like I mean, one of the things that they said was they said, oh yeah yeah, we get we get sightings of strange UFOs and, and and creatures all the time, and we've specifically dealt with something similar to what you're talking about. That was enough. That was all we needed. Yeah. And at that point, you got another message, right? <laughs> we we actually it, it didn't come until a year later because what had happened was. Uh, I was living in Canada at the time. So, you know, a quick trip to Kentucky wasn't something that was really in the question. And I was going through uh, I was going through immigration. So I wasn't actually allowed to leave the country. Mm -hmm. So no matter what I did, I, I couldn't go. And I was, you know, I wasn't really ready to hand out the information about where this was to just anybody else because I knew I'd end up seeing it on like, you know, Monsters and Mysteries in America with somebody else <laughs> investigating <laughs> it next year. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So selfishly, I didn't tell anyone where it was. Uh, I wanted to keep it for myself. Um, and then it just kind of, you know, it, it did what happens in these cases. It just kind of, you know, kind of floated to the back of my mind and uh, nothing really came of it. And then a year later, I got an email from Terry Rist. Whoa. <laughs> it it simply said, uh, why did you stop when you were so close? And then it said, I have something for you one week. And it was really strange because it was uh, it was all misspelled. Um, it was written very, very strangely. Actually, wow. 
it, it was reminiscent of of old of old letters that uh, John Keel used to get from the international bankers. So it was in a, it was just a really really strange, really bizarre, almost like someone who was foreign. Right. Wow. Now, just yeah. for a second, for those not familiar with John Keel and what happened with that, can you explain a little bit about that situation that he faced? John Keel was uh, a guy who most people would know him because he investigated the uh, the Mothman. Uh, there was actually a character in the Mothman prophecies that was based on him. Uh, that's his most famous work, but he investigated everything from UFOs to conspiracies and, and monsters and all kinds of stuff. Uh, and he had some particularly far out ideas about where they came from. And the closer that he got to what he believed was the truth, the, the more he'd start to get strange letters in the mail. Uh, he would get letters from that, that were they said they were from the international bankers and they were very strange they were telling him you know stop looking into this or you know this is going to happen uh and they always came from from strange addresses and they were postmarked from places that they shouldn't have been postmarked so a lot of them came from like military bases and things like that so it's very strange conspiracy type stuff wow i mean so in terms of investigators john keel so legit and at this point, oh, yeah. I mean, you've leveled up, my friend. I mean, in, in <laughs> you know, in good company, but it sure as hell probably made you feel weird inside, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I emailed back instantly and I said, who is this? And uh, I didn't get anything for a week. A week later, right on the money, uh, another email came and uh, it said that, you know, the David's town was a symptom. And then it said, and, I, and I'm reading it here because it's it's strange. It said, the ink and the black are isolated, still the third order, M-I-A. Bear in mind, bear spelled wrong. Bear in mind, for every door closed, a window must be opened. The door's closed, the window is open. Use the numbers. It had it had an attachment, and it was a photograph of a of a piece of paper, it looked like an old piece of paper, and it had all these numbers written on it. Uh, some of them looked like they were in marker, but it looked mostly like it was in it was in pen. Uh, no idea what to make of it at this point. <laughs> no no clue what to do with it. So the first thing I did is is I did what I did with all the other evidence. I, I just asked my friends. I put it on Facebook. I said, I, this just showed up. Uh, no idea what this means. You know, does anybody have any any clue? And the first thing someone shoots back with is that's a credit card number. Hmm. And so the, I was like, oh, crap. Well, I don't want to get I don't want to get in trouble. Uh, so I pulled it down right away and I started punching it in to see, you know, was there a way I could figure out whose credit card this was or or at least uh, what bank it belonged to. But I couldn't find anything about it. It, it was a it was a credit card number. It fit the sequence of numbers, but it didn't fit any particular bank. So I was stuck until someone pointed out that it was not a credit card number. It was GPS coordinates. Aha. Mm, uh-huh. So I punched in the GPS coordinates and they went to Brown Mountain, North Carolina. Brown wow. Mountain, North Carolina is where Terry Rist supposedly found an underground alien cave base in the 70s, went inside it and killed him some aliens. Oh, man. <laughs> How crazy. So you're staring at GPS coordinates of a location with known activity, like yeah. a consummate hotspot. Oh, absolutely. Did just a cold chill run down your spine at the moment? What was, what was your first uh, reaction when seeing that? Uh, terror, and I'll tell you why. Because just a few months before then, we had been there. What? It was a place that, that I had been with a few of my friends 
we'd gone down to shoot a, a documentary web series. Uh, and one of the things that we were trying to do in the web series was try to get abducted by aliens. So the idea was, you know, there were all of these. <laughs> I know. I know what it sounds like. Pretty lofty goal. Hey, ratings, um, man. <laughs> right, right, right. Funny enough, we never released the footage because it's too uncomfortable. Wow. Okay, future, story, future episode. Story for another time. Yeah, let's. <laughs> it was a successful experiment. I'll put it at that. Wow. But it's story for another time. Okay, deal. We went to Brown Mountain, and we went to Brown Mountain because we figured... This is a place where people have been seeing strange lights for forever. There's a history of people being abducted by aliens, coming back and telling their stories at Brown Mountain. Um, you know, the strange lights still show up. We saw them when we were there. We went there specifically because we wanted to get abducted. It was as good a place as any. We went with our friend uh, Micah Hanks, who's a, a ufologist from the area. Sure. And he said, hey, listen, I've got something we should check out while we're there. I said, what's that? And he said, it's an alien cave base. <laughs> and of course, you know, the first thing I'm thinking is like, oh, oh, the goblins, the goblins. And he said, yeah, I thought you guys would be into this. He's like a psychic actually predicted where this was supposed to be. And it's well off the beaten path. Oh, and we wow. spent the day hiking through the forest well off the beaten path. I mean, there were there were points where, you know, I, I honestly thought we were going to lose one of our, our gang because it was really treacherous. Mm. Uh, but after a few hours of hiking, lo and behold, just like the psychic had predicted, there is this spot where these two big stone pillars just go stick up into the sky. And right between there is a cave. And it is the cave that allegedly led into an alien cave base. And so um, and so and, and so Micah he really had no real idea that it was actually there. He he no, was just, no, he was I mean, just he taking was just, there based off a, a a psychic, huh? Yeah. 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 He said that this is a place that, you know, a psychic had told him there was supposed to be an entrance into the mountain where the aliens lived. Wow. And so we <laughs> we went with him and and it, there was a cave there. Whether it was the the entrance to an alien base or not, I don't know. The only thing that it was going through my head was, holy crap, this might have been the Terry Wrist entrance. This might have been where this happened back in the 70s. Right. If this if it ever happened. Didn't find any secret lovers. Didn't find any, any hatches or anything. Uh, the only strange thing was... There was a, a big rock wall that didn't look like it was supposed to be there in the cave entrance. There was only so far we could go in. And this thing looked like it, it literally looked like someone had come in and just set it there. And it was too big. You could see behind it. You could tell that the cave went further in. Um, but there was just no getting in, no matter what we did. This April, Shudder is celebrating halfway to Halloween. Because Halloween is too much fun to celebrate just once a year, right? It's Shudder's biggest month of programming ever. And one of the biggest shows coming in April is the new season of Creepshow. Creepshow is a Shudder original series from showrunner Greg Nicotero, FX legend and executive producer on The Walking Dead. Based on George Romero's 1980s horror anthology film, Season 1 was the most watched series in Shudder's history. Now they're back with nine nightmarish new takes that live up to the Creepshow tagline. The most fun you'll ever have being scared. Among the season's many, many guest stars are horror royalty like Keith David, Barbara Crampton, Ashley Lawrence, and Ted Raimi. New episodes hit Shudder every Thursday in April. And thanks to our sponsor, AMC Network Shudder, you can watch it for free right after you finish this episode of Euphemet. To try Shudder for free for 30 days, go to Shudder.com and use promo code Euphemet. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R dot com slash 
Euphemet. You can watch one of my favorites, the absolute moody classic film from director Jacques Tourner, Cat People. Or how about the artsy supernatural film, Lose? Or a Spectre Vision classic like Mandy? You can watch AMC Network Shutter on your Apple TV like me, your phone, or about any other device and enjoy the largest, fastest growing human curated selection of thrilling entertainment. Some even call it the Netflix of horror. And new stuff is added weekly. It's just $5.99 a month or $56.99 a year. But you can try Shudder for 30 days for free and help support Euphemet while you're at it. Just go to Shudder.com, that's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com, and use promo code Euphemet. Unbelievable, man. That's so wild. So you can imagine what it felt like when I get this, this picture that has GPS coordinates to where we were months before. Right. And so I'm thinking, oh, my God. OK, is is Micah playing a prank on me? <laughs> is is this is this a joke? Because it's it clearly said, why'd you stop when you were so close? Yeah. And, you know, Micah swears up and down. He had nothing to do with it. And I, I had no reason to disbelieve him. Absolutely none. I've heard um, he's a good man. I don't think he's a super, super good guy. And, you know, he's got a he's got a reputation for being an awesome dude Mm -hmm. and uh, being totally upfront and forthright when it comes to any of his investigations. So he was just as weirded out as I was. Yeah. When I told. Well, and you guys are pretty good about sort of making sure not a lot of folks know where you're investigating. Correct. I mean, so there's no there's no chance that someone else could have found this out and then put this together right to this day no one no one knows where this was there's there's no there's no way yeah there's no way even even the people who were with us uh for the investigation they they don't know where david's from i've not told them the town uh that's one that i've played really really close to the chest for for years because i'm too worried that someone's gonna get in there and screw it up Absolutely. Well, let's let's go back to Brown Mountain for a second. I mean, talk about a hot spot. Uh, locals have reported seeing things in that area for forever. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Uh, back back before white guys were even on the land. You know what I mean? Native yeah. Americans have tales of of what's been going on there. Uh, can you explain a little bit about Brown Mountain from a local perspective and and what they've told you of what you've learned from them? Uh, forever, people have been seeing strange lights, almost like these wispy lights sometimes they're in a formation sometimes they're singular and they 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 kind of rise up from out of the mountain and the native americans believed that they were the spirits of warriors that lived in the mountain and then when the white guys moved in they believed that they were you know the the lantern man ghost and then you know of course after roswell everyone thought well these are ufos these are ufos and there's a there's a base in the mountain and uh that theory in particular stuck when a guy by the name of ralph lale said that he had actually gotten up close to these lights. It had led him to, again, an entrance into the mountain. He'd gone into the entrance and met these alien beings that lived inside. And he said they took him on this fantastic journey to to outer space. They showed him maps, all this other kind of stuff. And uh, he wrote out an entire book about it. But what was so interesting about Ralph Lale was he actually claimed to have the body of one of these creatures. They'd given him a body to bring back because he knew he wasn't going to be able to prove to anybody that these creatures were real. So for years, 
in his shop, the base of Brown Mountain, he had uh, under glass this strange little alien mummy. And, you know, a lot of people thought that it was like a, a Homer Tate style uh, sideshow gaffe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as far as anyone knows, there's only one picture of this alien mummy that exists. And it's not the greatest picture. Naturally. Uh, of Naturally. Right. But what's strange is when Lael died, the mummy went missing. Oh, man. No one knows. No one knows what happened to it. In fact, they even bulldozed his store to the ground. Oh, (laughs) man. So somewhere out there, there is this alien mummy, uh, whether it's real or not. And it's strange that it disappeared. Wow. It's, It's amazing. I mean, it's amazing just the stories that keep coming out. Of that area. And I mean, it's been investigated, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. People like, you know, Greenfield has been down yep. there trying to yep. figure things out. Uh, did he discover anything while he was investigating that? Or Well, when when I realized that uh, Alan Greenfield knew who Terry Wrist was, I actually uh, sent him an email. And I said, listen, there's this guy that you interviewed in one of your books back in the 90s. Talked about going to these cave bases, kicking alien ass. Uh, do you still have contact with this guy? And do you think that this guy actually contacted me? And I sent him all of the correspondence that I'd had. And he got back to me and said, uh, haven't been in contact with him in forever. Um, I do know his real name. Wouldn't tell me what his real name was. And he said, I don't think that you talked to the real Terry Wrist. I think you talked to one of the men in black. Oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> He, he claims that when he was investigating Brown Mountain uh, back in the in the 70s and the 80s, uh, he actually had people come to his motel room. He had a, a man in black come to his motel room and basically try and dissuade him from believing anything that Lael told him. He said, you know, Lael was a moonshiner. He's, he's full of crap. Don't listen to him. Uh, and, you know, Greenfield said, there's no way that this dude should have known you know, what, where I was, what my room was, what I was doing there, et cetera, et cetera. Never seen him before. Uh, and so, you know, he just kind of said, okay, sure, whatever. And then, uh, close the door on him. Wow. How amazing. And I mean, to reiterate how strange this is, this was happening in the 60s, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, 60s, 60s, 60s and 70s. 70s. I mean, this this wasn't, you know, you're Instagramming on your way to Brown Mountain to to talk about this this blog you're writing. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, there's no way that somebody would have known uh, unless they really needed to, uh, to, to intercept, to intercept Greenfield, if, if, if it's true. And and the, the thing too is, Greenfield never told anyone about this. You know, he never had he never had reason to to bring it up or or speak about how, you know, this guy came to his room and tried to, you know, stop what he was doing, stop what he was investigating. So, I, I mean, there's no way we would have known. There's no way anybody else should have known. Did you believe him at that point? Did you oh, think, yeah, hey, yeah. this actually lines up? Maybe I am talking to a man in black. I mean, at this point, I'd been jerked around so much, you know, and I mean, that's that's one of the biggest things that people say when, when, when you start getting too close to the truth and these people start start peeking out, you know, what are they going to do? They're going to they're going to give you disinformation. So, you know, now I'm at this weird crossroads, right, where this person that Greenfield said was not the original Terry Wrist, but someone who knew the story, who knew the history was trying to steer me off track. So why would he give me GPS coordinates to, you know, North Carolina? 
Was it to get me to stop looking into Kentucky? Maybe. Mm. I have no idea. So, you know, I, I, what do I believe? I, I have no idea which way to go at this point. And, uh, you know, Greenfield even backed me up and said, listen, the, the Brown Mountain Lights, whatever they are, they're real. And I mean, we saw them too. People have been seeing them for forever. So there's something going on there. It's just how does it relate to the, the Goblin case? Yeah. Couldn't tell at that point. Jeez. So where, how do you move forward? After that point, <laughs> we didn't really move forward after yeah. that. Uh, I mean, again, it was it was just stagnant. There was there was nowhere to go. Um, I didn't know what to do. So again, you know, for for another another couple of years, absolutely nothing was going to happen uh, until someone heard me talking about the goblins one day. Uh, my friend Jeff and he says, "Hey, you know, I know the woman who is the last link." to the Kentucky Goblin case, you should talk to her. And uh, lo and behold, a book shows up in my mailbox from her. Uh, it's called uh, Alien Legacy. And she, her actual father was one of the guys that shot at these goblin creatures in 1955. Whoa. So <laughs> she, she and, and, and there's only two, I think two living relatives left who were actually present in the house when this happened. So there's still people alive, but they refuse to talk about it. So Geraldine, who is the last link to this case, took down every detail she could remember from her father's uh, experience and put it in a couple books. And she's kind of taken it up. She's you know, taking up his cross, so to speak. And she's telling what actually happened there because, I mean, over 50, 60 years, there's going to be a lot of uh, half truths and uh, exaggerations. So I read this book front to back and uh, sent her an email and I said, hey, can we talk? Because there's something that's been bothering me for several years. And I think that it might be related to what your family went through. And uh, she was absolutely willing to talk. And so uh, over the course of a few different phone calls, we began to talk about what her family went through. And I said, listen, I told her about every detail I could remember from the from the case, sent her all this material. And I said, do you think that there's any chance in the world that these could possibly be related? And she said, it sounds so similar that it's worth, you know, continuing to look into. And the only thing I could think was, again, hundreds of miles apart. How could this possibly hundreds of miles apart, 60 years between these cases, but they're so similar. How in the world could these things be connected? So I started to think about, okay, David says these things are coming out of a mine shaft on his property. One of the things that we try to do is we try to figure out where David was from. We only knew the town. So we started to look up uh, mines and caves in this town. Impossible. It's filled, filled with mines and caves. And wow. then we'd zoom out a little bit. More mines and caves all <laughs> over eastern Kentucky. As a matter of fact, there's an entire cave system, the Mammoth Cave System, the largest cave system in the world runs through Kentucky. Oh, all wow. the way from Hopkinsville to eastern Kentucky and all the way up through the Appalachian Mountains. Wow. So I asked Geraldine, I said, okay, <laughs> this is going to sound weird, um, but... Is the farmhouse where your family uh, encountered these things is still there? She says, nope, it's been gone a long time. I said, uh, do you know by any chance if there's any caves or old mine shafts near where this experience happened? She said, I don't know, but let me ask my friend who works for the, uh, the, the local community. Contacts me the next day, says, yeah, actually, in fact, <laughs> there's a big cave that we didn't know was there not too far from where these things spaceship was supposed to have crashed in 1955. Oh man. 
<laughs> how did that moment feel? I mean, how did uh, how did this feel when this started like really coming back together? Well, I mean, the first thing that's a tangible connection, at least mm-hmm. you know, because everything else is there's there's the things that didn't make sense were plenty, plenty enough that I thought, well, okay, maybe these things aren't connected. Maybe this is a big stretch, and I'm just really trying to make these things fit. But when we found out that this cave system stretched all the way from one side of Kentucky to the other to Brown Mountain to all the way up north like all the way up into New England. Then other things started to pop into my head. People would talk about Tommy knockers in mines. Mm-hmm. People would talk about seeing things like the, the Dover demon. People were t- coming up to us saying, you know, Dana and I take our evidence on the road. We have a traveling museum of, of paranormal uh, artifacts. And one of the things that we like to do is we like to take a lot of our case files out with us and show people photos because sometimes you never know where you're going to get a break. Some people who are experts in a particular uh, particular field will go, oh, hey, I know what that is. Or this is why this is fake. We had so many people go, oh, my grandparents who lived in this part of Kentucky, they used to talk about the holler goblins. The holler goblins would come out of the of mines at night and they really liked kids. And I always just thought it was this crazy story they would tell. But uh, they were always so serious about it. So so people would say like, oh, my parents used to talk about the gob sows. Or we've, we've seen footprints like this all over the place. So like in my head, there's all these little connections happening all along this mountain range, all along this this system of caves. And it's like, holy crap, this stuff's been happening for, for decades. But... When you when you hear the word goblin, you you just kind of laugh because it sounds ridiculous. But it's just something. It's just a name that's stuck. People have been seeing the same thing all over the place. They've just all given it different names because they had no way to know that this was happening hundreds of miles south of them or hundreds of miles north of them. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it's amazing, man. It's it's crazy. It's crazy that link that developed. And and it, and when what's what's stranger is uh that link keeps getting stronger and stronger and stronger. A few months ago, we were shooting a little television project about the goblin case. And uh as far as I know, nobody nobody even knows this yet. <laughs> um we were shooting this this little project and uh I mean everyone, I mean if if, if I'm going to pull the curtain back a little here so I hope people who watch, you know, reality television aren't terribly distraught that I'm going to ruin their <laughs> their perceptions. But How dare you, sir? It's it's uh pretty staged, you know. So they shot this about an investigation into the goblins. Uh, and they took us to a town that was just, it was, it was perfect for them because it wasn't too far for them. And it was really just about asking around about these goblins. Um, so there wasn't like a real investigation going on. They just wanted something that would look like there was. So they picked this town has absolutely nothing to do with the goblin case. Geraldine comes to town to meet us and talk about it. And we're at, we're shooting in a, in a little diner and no one's, you know, the, the, the shoot, that particular shoot was over. No one's paying any attention. The, the camera guys are wrapping up. And uh, there was this little girl who'd been riding around on her bike all day, just kind of watching what was happening. And she comes up to us and she says uh, to me and my wife, she says, hey, that guy over there says you guys are monster hunters. And I was like, I was like, yeah, have you seen anything weird lately? And she said, yeah, I saw this little creature. <laughs> leave footprints not too far from this cave. And I was like, what? And I looked around and I said, uh, who told you to say that? She's like, nobody. 
Nobody. No one's paying attention. No one's shooting anything. And I said, well, what cave? And she said, the one across the street, the one where we were shooting. We were shooting in a cave. And, and uh, I said, uh, can, you, can you draw what those footprints look like? I gave her a piece of paper and she draws a three-toed footprint that looks exactly like our material. I look at Dana, my <laughs> wife, and I said, I said, this is this is insane. There's no way that this is real. And at this point, you know, people are starting to take notice of what's going on there because we're really freaking out. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I said, if you guys aren't shooting this, you're insane. You need to come over here and shoot this. <laughs> and, and so... The, the the camera crew gets ready and they they turn the mics on and they they come over and uh, this little girl proceeds to tell us about how her friend saw a little thing looking in her window at night who lived just down the road from this cave and I said well can you draw what she saw and she said yeah so she goes and she sits there and she draws the spitting image of a Hopkinsville goblin again this place has no record. In any of these sightings, hundreds of miles away from Hopkinsville, and <laughs> anyone who's ever seen the the police drawings of the Hopkinsville goblins can tell that they're they're a very distinct creature. They're not something that you know you could just sort of draw and, and by accident do it. Uh, the eyes, the ears, it is the spitting image. And so at this point, I mean, I'm looking over at this cave that's across the street from us, and, and again, it's a cave where. It goes for miles, miles underground, and it's part of the mammoth cave system. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so it connects. It's, it's part of this big system. Yeah. And it was just another point in this collection of points that keeps popping up on these maps the more we look into these things. And uh, this girl had, I mean, there's, there's no way she should have known. No idea what we were doing there. It was bizarre. What's next? I mean, how, how do you get to the, I mean, are, are you ever going to be able to, uh, you know, nail this down? Well, shortly before we did the, the shoot with the, the TV network, we said, uh, okay, it's been too long. Let's go to the town. We know the town that David's supposed to be from. You know, Dane and I live in Cincinnati. It's basically Kentucky. We're three and a half hours away. Let's take, let's just take a day. Let's just go. We'll ask around. We'll see what we find. <laughs> and again, this is stuff that no one knows yet. Like, we've not talked about this part of, of the investigation. Euphemet exclusive. Right it here. It is. Right here. Absolutely is. No one knows this. So a few months ago, we just got in the car, left really early in the morning, and we drove way out to this town, eastern Kentucky. It was so desolate. There's no cell phone service. The the only stores in this town, there's just a, there's just a gas station uh, that it doubles as a grocery store. There's nothing around. And I mean, people knew we were from out of town when we showed up. So, of course, you know, the first thing I do is I have all these photographs of these footprints. And uh, I mic myself up with a wireless microphone. Um, and Dana sits in the car with a, with a camera and just, just to record all the conversation. And I walk into this gas station and I say, I'm from out of town. Uh, I've been working on this case. Some guy who claims that he's from this town has seen these creatures. He sent me this evidence. Do you know anything like it? Within half an hour, there were two dozen people gathered at this gas station telling us stories. No kidding. Um, everybody had a story. People have seen these footprints. People have watched these things run across the road in front of their trucks. <laughs> the weirdest part was th they said, listen, we know that we're hillbillies. The police won't come out here. They just refuse to come out when we call them. No one will take us seriously. And they said a giant 
flying saucer, the specifically the words flying saucer, hovered above their town for hours one day several years ago to the point where they all were outside looking at this thing, calling each other, calling the police. They said the next day uh, some people came to town and said what you saw was a satellite. <laughs> <laughs> and, this, and this is coming. This is coming from multiple people standing around, people nodding their heads and saying, "Yeah, yep, these guys came to town, these fancy dudes in suits." And they said, "You guys just saw a satellite. It wasn't a big deal." And this guy said, "Listen, I'm not an educated man, but I'll tell you right now, that was no satellite. It was way too low. It was the size of a jumbo jet, at least, and it was perfectly oh, cylindrical." And he said that the next day. Uh, the local newspapers around the area printed photos of a completely different object and said that it was a, uh, it was like a Google project. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and they were adamant that that's not what it was. Absolutely adamant that, that it w it didn't look anything like that. So these people have been seeing things they, and, and there were places where they were like, oh yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a mine up here. Things come out of the mine at night. We'll give you a couple four by fours. Come back. We'll give you four by fours and we'll take you out there. Like people really want to know what's happening. Yeah, right. They, they want they want answers, but no one will take them seriously. And it's it's strange because, again, like I said, there's there's no cell phone signal out there. Um, they they're just kind of cut off. So, you know, the next step is actually plan a, an expedition out there. I mean, we're fairly certain they they. So people gave us an address and uh, we checked it out and uh, it's probably David's house. Interesting part about it is looks like it's been abandoned for about two, three years. Oh, my There's gosh. Still stuff in the house. There's still stuff on the porch. The makeup of the land looks exactly the same as was described. And uh, there's a mine shaft not too far from it. Unbelievable, a man. Another another fun fact. We were shouting this guy's real name. So David's not David's not his real name. We were shouting this guy's real name from the mountaintops in this town. No one knows who he is. Guy who uh, lived there his entire life said, yeah, no, no idea who that is. Never heard of him before. But there is weird stuff happening. So oh, that's where we are. It's <laughs> wow. <laughs> <You're> uh, <right. laughs> It's a lot to process, man. I mean, I think I encourage anyone who's listening to this to go to Week and Weird and find this story. Uh, you actually have two different versions of it right now. Uh, just to go back and like look through some of these photographs and look through some of the work, you, you really go into great detail about how you guys even sort of triangulated that area together and uh, details about the other cases in that area that have happened as well. Is, is, you know, details about the Hopkinsville case and, mm -hmm. and what they experienced there. And I think that, you know, you're right. It, it seems to me, you know, I'm, I'm not uh, some master sleuth here, but... <laughs> it it seems to me that a descent has to happen, and the next step is going into those caves. Well, I, I mean, I don't want to fool anyone into thinking I'm a master sleuth either. <laughs> I just I just uh, really like weird stuff and have a lot of time on my hands. Well, it sounded uh, like 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 uh, you know you you stopped this quite a few times, and uh, things kept uh, coming back at you. So it's almost like your destiny, right? It's it's got to happen. You know, again, it might take another two years. Uh, I don't want it to. I mean, you know, right now it's it's winter out here. So, you know, there's there's not much we can really do yet. But 
I mean, we're already making plans to go out in the spring. And, uh, you know, we've got, uh, we met so many people out there who gave us phone numbers and said, you know, when you, when you come back, let us know. We've got fleets of four by fours. We know where the mines are. We'll take you out. We'll get as close to finding these things as we can. So what, uh, it's what, gonna happen. What are what are the makeup of these caves? Are, are, th- are these caves as to where there's, there's, I mean, I'm sure it varies because there, there's so many of them, right? And it's a huge system. But is this sort of the thing that you're going down hundreds of feet into the earth and I would imagine that this is treacherous. Oh yeah, I mean I, in some places, absolutely, you can go miles. It's, it's again, it's the largest cave system in the world. Uh, it, it stretches massive parts of, of the country and you know there's there's underground rivers, there's a lot of it that's not explored um, and it's, the interesting thing is it's, it's very much uh, temperate, like it stays the same temperature all year round in these caves. So as as and I and I realize saying all this, I realize that to 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 theorize that an alien spaceship crashed in 1955, these creatures were fired on. They ran down into the caves and for 60 years have thrived down there and moved all through the caves. It's crazy. It sounds absolutely nuts. I get it, but there is something going on. They are all connected. These cases are all connected to each other. They are so similar. You know, even one of the strangest parts, which is what David saw, the creatures he saw 60 years later didn't have the ears that the, uh, the, the, the creatures at the Hopkinsville case had. I mean, someone said, well, you know, there's, there's animals and, and depending on how mature they are, they have, different, they have different ears. The ears will be longer or they'll be shorter. Or I don't know if these things really did come down in a spacecraft. What if it was a helmet mm. that they wouldn't need anymore? Mm-hmm. You know? Right. Again, crazy far out stuff. But there's enough things that make sense <laughs> that it's absolutely worth looking into. Have, have, uh, have you discovered other areas that are rife with caves that claim to have similar experiences? What, well, what's interesting is when you start looking into caves in general, it doesn't matter where. Uh, I mean, it can be in a completely different part of the world. There's always legends that surround these caves and the things that live in them. And most of the time, they are strange, pale little creatures. Sometimes they're described as elves, depending on who you talk to. Sometimes they're, you know, they look exactly like uh, the the Dover demon. It's just a matter of who's seeing it and how they decide to describe it. But mash them all together. You're looking at something that's very similar. That's amazing. I mean, so (laughs) (laughs) there are things living underground all over the world. People are seeing these things. People are reporting these things. Most of the time, they're not taken seriously. They give them different names. But I think if you strip the name away and everybody were to take all of these cases and compile them, there would be so many similarities. It, it should be impossible to ignore that something is going on. People are seeing something. And, and they've been seeing this stuff forever, and there's been so many theories about, out there about what it is, and, and, it's, and, and it changes, right? There's a lot of evidence out there that something is going on. I think it's more than just our you know, sort of primeval fear of going into the deep dark. You know, well, I mean, you're you're we're afraid of these things. We're hardwired mm-hmm. to be afraid of these things on purpose. There's yeah. a reason that we're scared, and there's a reason why we describe seeing all these things the same exact way. You know, it, it changes depending on you know the the culture that's describing them or or the era that's describing them. But the the basics are always the same. There's something going on. Whether you want to believe that it's uh, cryptozoological, 
whether you want to believe that it's uh, you know, something to do with creatures from outer space or you want to think that they're these strange interdimensional goblins, you can believe whatever you want, but there's something happening. So folks listening, go to your local cave and no, no, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. We do not condone cave uh, searching it can be very dangerous. We don't want yeah, to speak, speak for yourself. Yeah, leave, <laughs> well, they got to leave Just that. Take, they got to leave it to you. Greg. Take your cameras. <laughs> uh, where can where can people uh, find you and find your stuff? Uh, if people are interested in uh, a lot of our investigations and uh, where they can see us or the the traveling museum of the paranormal and the occult. They can go to weirdhq.com, like Weird Headquarters. And uh, if they want to read uh, weird news and uh, read actually really detailed, in-depth looks at, at our cases and, and cases of our friends, they can go to weekinweird.com. Well, until David emails you back, uh, until next time, Greg. <laughs> Thank you. You can watch Greg and Dana on the season premiere of Finding Bigfoot on March 31st at 9 p.m. on the Animal Planet and keep updated on all things Goblin at WeirdHQ.com. Our essay at the first of the program was by Aaron Murphy, and our music contributors were Timid Smoke, Why Dust, Lorne, Dark Ambient Inner Devil, Flesh, and Cathedra. Links can be found for all of them on our SoundCloud page or at Euphemet.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Euphemet or email me, jim at euphemet.com. Share your stories. I always appreciate that. As always, thanks to my integrated producer, Kai Gilmer, our motion designer responsible for our new YouTube intro, Garrett Parker, Timid Smoke for the music, KHUH Hollow Earth Radio, Deep Talk Radio Network, and all of you who wait patiently for my next episode. Until then, keep looking up. Keep looking up.